Welcome to Star Trek Age of Discovery. I'm Adele Austin Anderson. And I'm Gary Anderson. And we're a married couple who are longtime fans of Star Trek. Today we're breaking down Season 1, Episode 20 of Star Trek Prodigy Supernova Part 2. We'll end our podcast with the latest Star Trek news. Before we begin, please remember our analysis contains spoilers. So if you haven't yet watched this episode, you may want to do so before listening to our comments. Now, Gary, let's start off with the synopsis for Supernova Part 2. Sure. Starfleet ships continue to fall victim to the living construct, which is forcing these vessels to turn against themselves. Although most of the crew seems to believe they can do nothing to stop the construct from carrying out its apocalyptic scheme, Dahl tells them they can avoid the complete annihilation of Starfleet if they destroy the protostar. The only way to destroy the ship without catastrophic damage to this quadrant of space would be for them to put this ship in proto-warp so the destruction would be minimized across dozens of light years. Since the auto-destruct command would have to be initiated manually, Hollow Janeway volunteered to stay on the protostar while the others could escape on a ship created by the ship's replicator. According to their plan, Janeway's program would be saved in the memory chip so they could be revived at a later time. However, before the crew was set to leave, Janeway discovered her program had grown too large to fit on the device before the crew would have a chance to evacuate. Instead, unbeknownst to them, until played later, Janeway creates a recording citing the issue. She attempts to inspire them to, to fulfill their dreams and directed them to go boldly. The protostar crew learned of Janeway's sacrifice after they were safely away from the ship. Following the protostar's destruction, the carnage ends and the protostar crew makes it to Starfleet headquarters a month later. The young people are placed on trial for commandeering a Starfleet ship. However, Admiral Janeway successfully advocates on their behalf, resulting in all charges being dropped. The crew cannot yet gain admittance to Starfleet Academy because administrators felt it would not be fair to fast-track their applications ahead of more qualified Federation candidates. Yet, Janeway won a concession that five of them could join the crew of her new ship as warrant officers in training. Their initial mission would be to search for Chakotay and any other remaining original protostar crew members using a temporal rift that had been opened up by the destruction of the protostar. The crew would include Dahl, who Janeway argued carried the DNA of many Federation species and thus should not be disqualified from joining Starfleet despite the prohibition against augmented beings. Most are enthused by the news until they realize there are six of them, so someone would not be joining the rest. That person turned out to be Gwen, who felt compelled to instead take up her father's dying plea to try to bridge the gap between warring factions on her home planet of Solemn. For the final scene, Dahl, Jenkum, Pog, Rock Talk, Murph, and Zero stand in awe 
of the reveal of the new protostar class starship. When Dahl asks Janeway if that will be their new ship, she responds, Oh, I have a much bigger plan for us. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder what that much bigger plan is. <laughs> there weren't enough hints in this episode right. for you. Okay, let's move on to the credits. Just as we began this adventure with the pilot episode, Supernova Part 2 was written by creators and showrunners Kevin and Dan Hagman, and it was directed by executive producer Ben Hebon. Thus, we knew we were in good hands. Yeah, so with the analysis, Supernova Part 2 concludes our first season of this highly engaging show by bringing the journey we've been on with these wonderful characters. We've watched Dahl, Gwen, Rock Talk, Jacob, and Zero learn and do things which they didn't think they were capable. This episode highlights their growth and entices us to wonder what the future holds for these characters. In short, Supernova Part 2 delivered us a fantastic ending to Season 1. The theme of Supernova Part 2 is sacrifice. From the opening moments, we see our heroes confront the harsh realities of their situation. The proto-star has to be destroyed to give Starfleet a fighting chance at surviving the living construct's assault. But the sacrificing doesn't end there. To accomplish this, one of the characters we've grown to love must stay behind to pilot the ship to its demise. There's only one logical choice for this job, regardless of how hard it is to say goodbye. Unfortunately, both saying goodbye to those you care about and sacrificing for a greater good will continue to be something our heroes will have to confront as the story concludes. Once again, the writing, direction, and voice acting deliver for us. Supernova Part 2 has a different purpose than its first half did. The thrills, chills, and excitement are packed into that half. While While this chapter must answer three major dramatic questions. The first is the fate of Starfleet. Will it survive? The second is regarding our crew's quest. Will Dahl and the rest be able to join Starfleet? The last question relates to Chakotay. Will the mission to rescue him end with the destruction of the protostar? In our analysis, we will tackle all three and look at a possible direction for season two. Although we were fairly certain Starfleet's future was secure, it wasn't clear how they were going to survive the onslaught of the living construct. The genius of the Volnikot's plan was frighteningly obvious and clear. Use Starfleet's innate openness against itself. Let the simple response to a ship's hail be the way to deliver a deadly command virus that overrides control of the responding vessel. We didn't even have to imagine the extent of its destructive force. We saw how effective it was in Asylum, the first episode after the break. The image of that Federation outpost ripping itself apart 
has been all we needed to see to help us understand the extent to which it could be sabotaged. The debris field from the beginning of the episode show how far-reaching its devastating power could be. That debris field was quite reminiscent of the aftermath of at Wolf 359 or what was left of Starfleet after the Klingon War during Discovery's first season. Next season, it would be helpful if the show acknowledged that a portion of their fleet had been destroyed and must be replaced. So now let's look at Dahl and the rest of the crew as they seek to join Starfleet. Was there any doubt that Janeway would talk the Admiralty into accepting the kids on some form of provisional basis? Not in our minds. The fact that they have been assigned to her makes it more likely for a later full acceptance into the organization. They spent a year being advised by Janeway's hologram program. In contrast, Admiral Janeway would have authority over them, so the transition shouldn't be very difficult on their part. Next and finally, we want to talk about Chakotay's rescue mission. First, it must be said that it would be unlikely that there would not have been a pushback for Admiral Janeway to take one of their newest ships to go in search of Chakotay and his crew, especially after a portion of the fleet had been decimated. It seems as if there should have been a scene where she would have had to convince the Admiralty that such a mission could not wait for fear of the temporal rift closing too soon. Still, it seems like it would be a hard sell after so many Starfleet crew members were lost in vessels damaged or destroyed that must be replaced. The current vulnerability of the Federation would seem to take precedent at this time. Next, we need to talk about time travel, uh, which has been a long-standing staple of many Star Trek stories. We even have a series, uh, Star Trek Discovery, where the entire show leaped more than 900 years into its own future. But as we've seen before, just because you know where you want to go in the future doesn't mean you're going to get there in the exact time period you were aiming for. You might overshoot your destination or undershoot it. Given the possibility that season two will feature Admiral Janeway and her new charges traveling through the temporal rift in an attempt to find Chakotay, a point of speculation about their Destination is as much about when they will come out as it is about where they will come out on the other end. It's unlikely they will arrive at the exact time when Chichode did, so when they land, could that could add some unforeseen wrinkles to their mission. Assuming Null and company travel to this alternate future where Jacody is currently trapped, and depending on when they get there, they may find the original protostar with its original Janeway holograms still on Solemn, not yet sent back in time with the living construct aboard. Talk about your time paradoxes. 
If they could disrupt the entire plan, could it eliminate the primary reason for Dahl and the others meeting? Would they have come together without being imprisoned on Tars Lamora? Would Gwen cease to exist if the <laughs> Diviner never traveled back in time? The possibilities of changes in the timeline are endless, but probably not likely. So this is just speculation until the show, show returns. All right. So here are some final thoughts, okay? All right. So Star Trek Prodigy was an unexpected gift in 2022. It's the Star Trek show we didn't know we needed. It's introduced us to a group of fantastic characters, made us to care about their perilous adventure, and allowed us to see them grow over the course of 20 episodes. The writers and directors never insulted our intelligence with unjustified or ridiculous events that made us question why we were watching it it in the first place. Instead, the show rewarded our continued viewing by offering up an intriguing take on Star Trek lore, or an unexpected turn of action by one of its characters. When given a no-win scenario by the living construct, they decided on the most logical course of action, and that being to destroy the ship they loved. The sacrifice would have been averted by some magical save or some last-minute technobabble idea in, in weaker shows. Remember, it's happened before even in the live-action adult series. There was no bomb placed at the core of Klingon homeworld or transferring the mind of a dying admiral into the android body so it can continue <laughs> to survive. Prodigy didn't do any of that, for which we could be eternally grateful. So let's look at forward to season two and encourage the Hagman brothers to bring the same level of quality to their next adventure. And it's no surprise to us about Janeway's bigger plans for season two. There were some hints in this episode that next season will most likely include the massively anticipated starship reveal of the new Intrepid class USS Voyager NCC-74656A. We saw one of its shuttle fish Dahl and the crew out of the San Francisco Bay. This will be the successor to the ship from the series. We cannot wait. So now let's move into bits and pieces. This version we call the something something edition uh-huh. because that's pretty much what the list is. First up, destroying the prototype star was said to have created an interspatial flexure. That's the same anomaly that sent Chakotay and the protostar 52 years into an alternate future. Such an anomaly was first seen in the Voyager episode Counterpoint. This episode also referenced, uh, was referenced in part one of the finale. It was the kind of wormhole the Benari refugees used to escape divorce space. Yeah. Next up, let's look at what could be considered a small error, but we're going to pick this nit just because we'd like to. The explosion caused by destroying the protostar was described as having a destructive range of 50 million miles in diameter. And that's little less than the distance between 
the sun and Venus, which is one of our inner planets in our solar system. It was predicted that, however, that the explosion would destroy the entire solar system. Um, the distance, that's the distance between the sun and Neptune, which we know is 2.8 billion miles in diameter. So I'm not really sure if the destruction is going to be that impactful. It's going to destroy some stuff, but not all the stuff it claims it will. Well, in their diagram, I mean, yes. when they showed the simulation, yes. it did seem like all these planets, there were lots and lots and lots and lots of planets yes. that were going to be destroyed. Yes. And so I think it almost makes me think that, you know, when you start getting into big numbers, like yeah, yeah. really, really big numbers, yes. it is, they, they feel like, they might feel like it's difficult for the audience to really understand, like, how big that is. So millions sounds like, millions of miles sounds like it's pretty big. Unless you know your science. Yes. Well, I'm not saying I'm a, I'm a scientist. I just play one on the podcast. <laughs> okay. Let's move to another uh, thing that we wanted to point out. Another something, something. Uh, Jacob Pong calls himself a miracle worker due to his engineering prowess. In a sweet nod to the legendary engineer Montgomery Scott or Scotty. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that was a cute little addition. Yes. Yeah, I mean, they've done a couple of those things throughout the entire series. Yes. And they've been nice. They haven't called too much attention to themselves. You, it, can, you can see that the Hageman brothers, they really love Star Trek. And they, they know, know it. They know, they know it, it. yeah. And, and, and they also are really talented writers. Yes. And they have a really good writing staff that's working with them. So they never let the love of the show overwhelm their desire to make a really compelling and engaging story. Yeah. Okay, next up, let's talk about that Admiralty panel that we saw yep. at Starfleet. Um, the Admiralty panel, tribunal panel, wore yet another new variation on the Starfleet uniforms, which, I mean, they must, somebody, somebody's back there just making these uniforms <laughs> like left and right. So, you know, when we saw Dahl, Rock Talk, and Jankum after they had been accepted into service, they also had um, a new version as well. Yeah, the new uh, Starfleet trainee uniforms that the kids are going to wear are similar in design to the uniforms they wore aboard the Protostar, but with the lighter and darker colors reversed. Which... Okay. Okay, that's fine. I mean, I mean right. just, just to distinguish them, let's, <laughs> let's just stick to it, you know? Let's just stick to it. Next, let's talk about Gwen and her heirloom. You know, the sword that she had this time we saw when she was at Starfleet at, at the Federation offices. Um, it had integrated itself into the shoulders of her newly designed uniform. So everybody got a new outfit. That's right. That's I mean, right. Everybody was up there styling and profiling. Okay, and uh, we're now going to talk about uh, the Starfleet scientists. Yeah, a little cameo that we found. Yeah, in this so this scientist, the scientist who invites Rock to become a xenobiologist, is modeled after Star Trek science consultant Dr. Aaron McDonald, who also voices the character in this fun cameo. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was kind of odd that 
that character was so prominent for a short period of time and we had never seen it before. But, you know, I mean, now we know why. And the red hair did kind of pull our attention oh, to, sure. to the character anyway. And finally, as Rock Talk enters the Starfleet headquarters science lab, we see an Enterprisian from the episode All the World's a Stage sitting at the computer console. Now, that was the first time we noticed that. So, obviously, they must have been contacted by, by Starfleet after the stories of the Protostar crew informed them that there was this whole race of folks who understood Starfleet, but not exactly. Right, right. So, I thought that was a cute callback. Okay. So, let's move to Star Trek news. The Ready Room returned to celebrate the finale of Star Trek Prodigy's first season. The show began with a featurette on the episode with comments by the Hageman brothers, as well as cast members Ella Purnell, Brett Gray, and Kate Mulgrew. Next host, Will Wheaton, conducted an interview with Mulgrew, followed by a Star Trek trivia game with the Hageman brothers, Mulgrew and Gray. The show concluded with the latest trailer for the third season of Star Trek Picard. Third and final season. Third and final, that's right. Okay. Next up, kudos for Strange New Worlds. Uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds ended 2022 on the best of TV list for critics from such publications as Newsday, Rolling Stone, Vulture, and the LA Times. Ranking Strange New Worlds number seven, Esquire critic Brady Lagman and Adrian Westenfield justified their pick with this statement. In a year crowded with self-serious science fiction, Strange New Worlds rose above the pack for its commitment to good, clean, swashbuckling fun. This back-to-basics return to episodic storytelling of Star Trek, the original series, is set during the cap of Christopher Pike, who preceded Captain Kirk aboard the Enterprise. If you're not a Trekkie, have no fear. There's no learning curve here. There's a lot to love for any science fiction fan. Uplifting, exhilarating, and gloriously retro, Strange New Worlds is a character-driven series where each episode pairs a top-notch social-cultural story with a free-wheeling adventure. Whether the Enterprise is battling a lethal enemy or just trying to undo an accidental body swap, it's always worthy beaming up with Strange New Worlds. Vulture critics Jen Chani, Roxana Haddadi, and Catherine Varendunk named Anson Mount's portrayal of Captain Pike as one of the standout performances of 2022. According to Van Arendonk, The magic of Anson Mount, space daddy Captain Extraordinaire, is his remarkable flexibility. In Strange New Worlds, Mount's role as Captain Pike could have easily been restricted to a narrow tonal bandwidth, and the show itself could have played with fewer emotional colors. But as an old-school episodic series, Strange New Worlds toggles from silly to poignant to suspenseful and back again. And in any series attempting to contain that much breath, 
The performances need to be roomy and nimble enough to work in all sorts of contexts. Mounts Pike can do all that. He is tragic, swashbuckling, paternal, and quippy. And in the moments when he needs to be, he can anchor an absolutely straight-faced thriller plotline. Strange New Worlds and the rest of the show's cast can pivot around him, exploring new life and civilizations without losing themselves. Yeah, um, I, I, I appreciate the calling out for Anson Mount because, as we've said, going back all the way to season two of Discovery, he really nails Pike in a way that we haven't really seen before. And I think it's because he understands what, period of Pike he's playing. Right. Which has been unexplored and he and he's done according you know, along with the writing obviously, he's done a really good job of bringing that out and making that an engaging character. That's right. Um, okay. So in, in closing, we will return in six weeks before the third and final season premiere of Star Trek Picard. We'll offer our expectations for season three and catch you up on any major Star Trek news that comes out at that time. Before we sign off, we would like to thank all of our listeners who stuck with us throughout 2022. It was a very Star Trek rich year. For the most part, it was a good year. Discovery and Lower Decks were both hits or misses all season long, but mostly hits. Picard, well, we felt it was a complete failure. But Strange New Worlds was a welcome introduction to the franchise, and Prodigy was an absolute dream. I mean, all in all, I think we were lucky that we had so much um, that as we did, of Star Trek as we did that year. Um, we're hoping 2023 brings us every show producing its best stories and providing us with a consistent level of entertainment. As an added benefit, we did a little video acknowledging the sh- people who died in 2022. It helped to make Star Trek shows over all these years. It's on our website un- under In Memoriam and on Gary's YouTube channel at Gary4362. Check it out. But until that time... Like, subscribe, and follow Star Trek at Age of Discovery on Twitter and Instagram at Star Trek AOD on Facebook at facebook.com slash Star Trek AOD our, at our website, which we just cited. We have some new content for you at Star Trek AOD.net where we offer additional articles and other stuff on Star Trek canon and interesting sidebar issues and as well as other aspects of the show. Also, email the show at StarTrekAOD at gmail.com. But until then, live long and prosper.